Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, this is going to be fun. We're going to look at a guy named Peter. If you ask people, who are you like in the Bible? A lot of people, maybe even most people would say Peter. And if you're new and if you say, oh, Jesus, you, you need to read the Bible more. That, that's, that's not, if you're reading the Bible, you're like, oh, pretty much we're the same. We're twinsies. No, you're not. So Peter's a guy, anyways, he's, he, he is one of the most awesome, epic, amazing characters in the Bible. We love Peter because he always gets it right the third time. That's Peter. So we can all relate to Peter. And what we see with Peter is that God is perfect. People are imperfect. God does perfect work through imperfect people. That's the encouragement and hope that we get from Peter. So today we're going to do a bit of a character study on this guy named Peter. I'll start by telling you that he was a business leader. He didn't start off in ministry. He started off in business. If you got a company, uh, you can relate to Peter. He had employees, he had assets, he had payroll, he had cash flow. Uh, he had all the same things that you deal with. He ran a fishing company. And the Bible says that he worked in one area and then it says he worked in another area. I believe that his company had multiple locations. If you've had a business that's grown and you've expanded to multiple locations, that's Peter. He understands business. He's a business guy, and he's a little bit rough around the edges, a little bit blue collar. Most, most guys that are in a trade like that aren't the most refined. Some traditions of Christianity would intimate or indicate that perhaps he was single, never married, and therefore religious leaders should be single and never married. But I'm here to tell you, Peter was married. Mark chapter one says he had a mother-in-law. How many of you also have a wife if you have a mother-in-law? Amen. I know a lot of single guys. I've never had a single guy say, I don't know, I can give or take the wife. I'm really looking forward to having a mother-in-law. I've never really had that conversation. I love my mother-in-law with all my heart. We get along really, really well. Uh, but I did sign up to be with Grace and she was part of the deal. So uh, he had a mother-in-law in Mark chapter one. And in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, it says that Peter had a believing wife that he would take with him on mission trips. So if you're married and you're a Christian and you've got a spouse that's a Christian like Grace and I are and you do ministry together, that's the story of Peter. He was a business leader and he also was married and also he had a brother named Andrew. And we looked earlier in John's gospel, if you're new, we've been in John's gospel, I think this is week 38. It's gonna take almost a full year and if it's your first week, you're really glad. Last week, we talked about the wrath of God for 70 weeks and a bunch of people walked out. So you picked a great week to come, welcome. And if you see those people that used to go here, tell them I do love them. So nonetheless, um, we're in John's gospel. And we looked earlier in John's gospel that it started by Jesus calling a few people to be part of his ministry. Just like when we started this church, there was just a small group of people. And then you know, we asked a few people, hey, do you wanna be part of the team and help start this ministry? Well, when, when Jesus started his ministry, one of the first guys he grabbed was a guy named Andrew. So Andrew joined his ministry and Andrew had a brother named Peter. So he went home and got Peter and brought him to join Jesus' ministry. You're doing the same ministry as Andrew when you invite a family, friend, neighbor, coworker, enemy to church. You, you invite them into your life group. You buy them a Bible. They don't know the Lord. You do know the Lord. So you're kind of acting like the, the, the host that's introducing them to the Lord. That's, that's how Peter met Jesus. Sometimes Jesus just shows up and sometimes he sends someone else to make the introduction. And so that's how it worked with Andrew and Peter. And so Jesus picks Peter and Peter picks Jesus and they're part of this ministry together. And there's 12 guys that are sort of the leadership team. This would be almost like our weekly staff meeting here at the church. But within that, there were three senior leaders that were sort of in an oversight situation, Peter, James, and John. They were closest to Jesus and they had access to him at points where other people did not. So they had the bird's eye view into the life and ministry of Jesus. So Peter is there, for example, when they go up on the mountain with Jesus and it was an amazing day, Moses and Elijah come down. That had to be, that had to be amazing. Um, he was there, for example, Peter was, when Jesus healed a little girl and there was only a few people in the room. So Peter had privileged access. He had the backstage pass into the life and ministry of Jesus more so than anyone else on the earth. And here's what we know about Peter. He's passionate. He's a big personality. He's an extrovert. He, he only has an external voice. He's not found his internal voice. He's very passionate. How many of you are very passionate people? 
Okay, how many of you are married to them and know that it's not always a good thing, amen? All right, pray for grace, right? As I say, loud, impetuous, emotional, big personality, you're like, I know a guy like that. And he yells at me for an hour every Sunday. You're welcome, okay. So, so Peter is passionate, but that's not always the best thing, okay? So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna take an overview and look at the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus because we're all people like Peter. Let's start in John chapter 13, where we figure out that Jesus knows you better than you know you. So we're gonna go back a few weeks into John 13. This is the final week of Jesus' life as he's preparing to die on the cross for our sins. John 13, 36 through 38, Simon Peter said to him, said to Jesus, where are you going? Jesus was just talking about dying on the cross, then rising as our savior. Where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Jesus is talking about, I'm gonna go to the cross to substitute myself and die for sin. And then after that, I'm gonna go to heaven. Peter, you can't go to the cross with me. I don't really need your help to forgive the sin of the world. I got this. But after that, when I go to heaven, you can go with me there. Here's what I love about Peter. You never have to guess what this guy's thinking, amen? Some people you're like, I don't know what you're thinking. You never have to say that about Peter. Peter lives out here. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? because I'm gonna go to the cross and die for the sin of the world. And Peter, you're not gonna help, amen? You don't participate in your salvation. You don't participate in your forgiveness. You don't join Jesus in doing something that you can be forgiven. He does it all and you receive it all. And here's what he says, I will lay down my life for you. Peter's like, I'm the best guy you got. I know we're a team, I'm varsity, they're junior varsity. You can depend on me, Jesus. No matter what, I'm there, count on me. Sleep good at night, check it off your concern list. Peter is rock solid, Peter means rock. Peter is rock solid, you can trust in me, Jesus. You can depend on me, I'm your guy. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Peter, I didn't come so that you could die for my sin. Uh, Peter, I came so that I could die for your sin. You got this all upside down, Peter. I appreciate the zeal, uh, but you know, you need to get a rudder in addition to the sail. You're going really fast, but you're really off course. Truly, truly, I will say to you, the rooster will not crow uh, until you have denied me three times. This is Jesus prophesying and predicting Peter's future. Peter's saying, I am solid, you can depend on me. And Jesus is like, actually, you're not. You're not. You're gonna deny me not once, not twice, not, not just twice, three times, and then you're gonna remember that I told you this because then a rooster is gonna crow, which means this is gonna happen early in the morning. Now, Peter knows that this is what's coming. You think he probably would write this down. Don't deny Jesus, and if you do it once, uh, hit the brakes, and at two, uh, just go home. You know, he doesn't. Sometimes we think we know ourselves better than anyone, amen? God knows you better than you know you, right? How many of you thought you knew who you were and then God brought some people in your life that showed you who you were? We had this revelation, Grace and I did not too long ago, we're meeting with one of our pastors, there are four wonderful older men that we see as our pastors and we meet with and we submit to and, and they're greatly helpful. And we were talking and, uh, and they looked at us, this, this pastor did, and he looked at Grace and he said, it's a good thing you're normal. This, this infers that one of us is not normal, amen? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You, did you mean to say, it's a good thing we're normal? We're normal. He's like, no, that's not what I said. It's a good thing she's normal. I was like, well, well I feel like that Sesame Street. Which kid is not like the other? Which kid does not belong? All of a sudden, I'm the weird kid in the corner. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, a relationship can work if two people are normal. And it can work if one is normal and one is weird. But if you're both weird, it, that's not good. I was like, no, wait a minute. Do you think I'm the weird one? He's like, we know you are. We all know you are. Grace is the normal one. You're the weird one. I'll be honest with you. That was helpful. And it also stung in my heart a little bit, okay? I thought up until that, I knew I was eccentric or peculiar a little bit. But that was a revelation to me. I'm the weird one, okay? Grace is the normal one. That was very helpful. Now I know who I am, right? 
Apparently everyone else knew it. No one ever told me, okay? That's what Jesus is doing here for Peter. He's saying, Peter, you think you know who you are. You think you're the steady one. You're not, you're the crazy one. You're not the one who's gonna be faithful to me. You're gonna be unfaithful to me. God knows you better than you know you, okay? And God knows your future, the future you do not know. So we're gonna pick up the story of Peter, jump forward a little bit to John chapter 18. Peter failed Jesus. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So he's a believer, he's a Christian, right? He believes in and follows Jesus. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. Some of you, maybe you're not following Jesus. It's relational, right? Yesterday, I've been gone all week. I went to Kentucky. Wow, it's different there, okay? I land and we're driving somewhere and I see these big billboards pull over right now and you can buy two things in one place, whiskey and fireworks. I kid you not. What could possibly go wrong? I just thought, this is a YouTube channel waiting to be created, you know? Redneck whiskey fireworks, ta-da, you know, I mean, amazing. And so I was gone all week and then I went to Florida and I got home yesterday and I got to go for a walk with Grace. I love that. I love that. I like to hold my girl's hand, go out in the sunshine and go for a walk with my girl. I love that. When it talks about um, he followed Jesus, it's relational, right? When Grace and I go for a walk, we talk, we work stuff out, we visit. I look forward to that. My soul needs that. So it is with your relationship with Jesus. Sometimes following him literally means getting up and going for a prayer walk and just talking to him. You know, sometimes following him means getting in the car and coming to church or getting in the car and going to life group. It's, it's activity, it's motion. It's, it's not just thinking, it's relating. Uh, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. So two of the guys. Now the context here is that Jesus has been arrested. He is now incarcerated. This is crazy. God comes to the earth and we arrest him. Can you imagine what this would look like today on social media? Jesus in an orange jumpsuit, cuffed, getting in the back of a car. Can you imagine that? That's what we did to God. God came to the earth. We looked at him and said, you're different than us. There must be something wrong with you. And I'm sure Jesus is like, that's why I'm here. There's something wrong with you, right? And so he's been arrested. Everybody else has gone home. This is late at night. Right? Peter and another disciple are sort of at a distance watching to see what happened. It was known to the high priest, that's the religious leader. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. He kept his distance. Right? Some of you are that way. You're like, well, I keep my distance from Jesus. I keep my distance from the Bible. I keep my distance from the church. I, I, I'm not gonna get too close. Not gonna be too committed to this. Not gonna be too zealous about this. After all, some people don't like that and I don't like to be in harm's way. So uh, the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl, young gal, maybe junior high gal, think young teenage peasant gal, working a job, you know, it's almost sun up. She's outside, people come to meet with a leader. She sort of greets them and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you're not one of those guys' disciples. Jesus is in there. Hey, you look familiar and you got a weird accent. You're not from around here. Are you with him? Are you with that Jesus guy that they're arresting? Ask the question. He said, I am not, no, I don't know who you're talking about, not me. No, I'm, I'm a pastor, I wouldn't lie. Never, never been with that Jesus guy. I don't know who we're talking about. How many of us though, we deny that we know Jesus, right? How many of your friends don't know that you're in church right now? How many of your family don't know that you're a Christian? How many of your coworkers don't know you're a Christian? How many of you don't put it on social media? Cause it's like a cat with a hose lately. You're like, I just don't like what happens when I put verses up. Right? And there is a social cost to identifying yourself with Jesus. I experienced this on the plane to Kentucky. I'm sitting next to a guy, we're having a nice conversation. He looks at me, he's like, so what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. He's like, oh, grabbed his headphones, put them in his ear. And at that moment, I ceased to exist on planet earth. We were done. We never, he never spoke to me again, never made eye contact. I was like, did I get raptured? Am I gone? You know, am I no longer here? 
This guy didn't want to have that conversation, right? I am not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire. It's cold out. Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves, Peter was with them standing and warming himself. Standing and warming himself. A couple of things I wanna point out here. Number one, people do evil things in the name of religion. Now, there is pure religion that is to care for widows and orphans and those in need. What I'm talking about here is religion in the negative pejorative sense of the word. And the difference is this, religion is about rules. It's not about relationship. Jesus is about relationship. Jesus is far bigger on relationship than he is on rules. He does have some rules, but the rules are in the context of the relationship. I was talking to a dad this week and we were talking about parenting. I said, my philosophy is this, heavy on the relationship, light on the rules. Rules without relationship promotes rebellion. Here, Jesus comes to the earth to have a relationship. How do we know that? He spends three years with 12 guys, one of whom's a dud, right? He eats meals with them, he travels with them, he does life with them, he's in relationship with them. One of them here is Peter. The religious leaders come, no relationship at all. There's never a, hey, could we have dinner with you? We'd like to get to know you. Could we ask you some questions? No. We have rules, you have broken our rules, therefore we will punish you, crucify you, kill you, murder you because you broke our rules. That's religion. Religion is rules, not relationship. The problem here is not that Jesus is religious, but that Jesus is going to be killed by those who are religious. Here's what I wanna say for those of you that are here and you have a category where there is religion and Jesus is in that category, I want you to move Jesus out of that category, okay? Jesus is not religious, he's relational. It's the religious people who are going to murder God because they're non-relational, okay? And they're going to do something evil in the name of their religion. They're going to kill God. Now, the reason that they're having all these false trials under the cover of darkness late at night is because their rules say you can't kill someone on Saturday. Friday's fine, Sunday's fine, but not Saturday. What are we, barbarians? That's our day off. So apparently murdering someone is not a problem, but on Saturday, well, you gotta draw the line somewhere. So God comes to the earth and they're like, we wanna kill him before Saturday, so hey, Chop, chop, we gotta run false trials all night. We don't wanna break our rules and murder God on a Saturday. That would be crazy. Religion makes rules that are ridiculous and they deny the possibility of relationship. Now, let me say a few things about Peter because usually Peter gets hammered like a nail. He gets beaten like a pinata on Cinco de Mayo. He's like, oh, Peter, ha, 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 ha. He's such a failure. Well, let me say a few things about Peter. Peter follows Jesus at a distance, but at least he follows him. At this point, everybody else for the most part, except for a couple of guys is where? They've gone home. They're like, you know what? That, it was really good when he was feeding us and making wine, but now that he's gonna get crucified, I feel like it's go home time, right? There were thousands of people that showed up for the free meal and the free wine. At this point, at least Peter, he's following at a distance, but at least he's still following. Let's give the guy a little bit of credit. Number two, um, Peter is brave enough to be there and that's braver than most. He's brave enough to be there, that's braver than most. Number three, Peter. Peter tries and fails, but at least he tries. At least he tries. Earlier in the book, there was a story. The guys are out fishing. Jesus shows up walking on water. That's amazing, amen? That's amazing, Jesus is walking on water. Peter sees him, what does Peter decide? I wanna see Jesus, so what does he do? He steps out of the boat. As long as he's looking at Jesus, Peter's walking on water, wow. And then he looks down, <laughs> oh, rut row, and he realizes I'm walking on water. So what does he start to do? Sink. Jesus saves him and says to him, ye of little faith. And what I would say is, it's more faith than the other guys in the boat. Everybody's like, well, Peter took a few steps. Ha, 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 it's more than I've taken. 
I got a pool. I've never walked across it, I'll tell you that. I think what Peter did is pretty amazing. If you have a little faith, God can mature it and work with it. Peter has a little faith, but it's a genuine faith and God can work with and mature and multiply even a little faith. So here though, we see this contrast between Peter and Jesus. Jesus is inside, Peter is outside. They are interrogating Jesus formally. They are basically interrogating Peter informally. Jesus declares that he's God. Peter denies that Jesus is his God. They're both undergoing a similar experience. Jesus is far more intense with far higher implications. And Jesus remains faithful and Peter fails miserably. Part of the reason may be this, they prepared themselves for this moment differently. For those of you that have been with us, what happened in John 17? What's John 17? The longest prayer of Jesus in the whole Bible. We took three weeks to go through it. On the precipice of this test, Jesus was up all night praying, so he was ready. What did Peter do? He slept. Jesus kept waking Peter up, telling him to pray, and Jesus kept going back to pray, and Peter would go back to sleep. So in this moment, Jesus is ready because he was prayed up. Peter was not ready because he was not prayed up, okay? The point is this, sometimes God will ask you to pray, he'll impress you to pray, he'll invite you to pray, and you think, you know what? There's nothing urgent, I'm really tired, I need some sleep, or, or I have something else that is more pressing, and God knows what's gonna happen next, and he knows that the praying is the way of preparing. So through praying, Jesus was preparing. Through sleeping, Judas was, or excuse me, Peter was not preparing. So he denies and fails. Next slide, please. John 18, 25 through 27, Peter failed Jesus yet again, right? Jesus told him, you're gonna deny me three times. He just did it once. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples. Well, you, are you Peter? You look really, I'm telling you, look, I, I know you said no and you're a pastor, so you'd never lie, you know, but, but you really look like one of those guys that was with Jesus. Are you sure? He denied it again, said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Oh, my God, this gets a little odd. You know, actually, when we arrested Jesus, my, my uncle Malchus was standing there and some crazy Galilean fisherman took out a sword, missed and chopped his ear off. You look a lot like that guy. <laughs> and if you had those awkward social moments. That, so if you, if you remember the story, we, we looked at it last week. Judas, the betrayer, filled with Satan, John 13, 27, shows up with a band of Roman soldiers. That's 600 armed guards, plus the chief priests and Pharisee soldiers. So maybe 800 or 1,000 armed soldiers, middle of the night, lanterns, clubs, swords. Here's Jesus and his 11 disciples. Peter is the guy that says, I got this. I'm here, Lord, yay, I'll, I'll do your job. So Peter's gonna take on six, 800, 1,000 armed trained soldiers, okay? How many of you, he's passionate, amen, but that's not always good. So he goes after Malchus, who's like the intern. Malchus is like, Malchus is the servant. He, so Peter's not that tough, and he misses, he gets an ear, because there's never been a guy who's like, I'm gonna get me some ear today. I'm gonna get me some ear, I'm gonna, I gotta, I got an ear collection. No, you know, that's when you go for the neck and you miss, right? And so what Jesus does, Jesus picks up Malchus's ear, little Mr. Potato Head situation, sticks it back on Malchus so that Malchus could hear Jesus rebuke Peter, right? <laughs> Malchus is like, oh, okay, now what do you have to say, Lord? And so what's happening here is his relative is like, uh, my uncle Malchus, did you chop his ear off? Right? <laughs> How many of you have told a lie and to cover it, you had to tell another lie? And next thing you know, you're like, I'm digging a hole to hell. I gotta get out of this, right? Okay, you didn't laugh, that's funny. Okay, whatever, all right. 
Doesn't matter to me. I, I, I'm doing it either way. All right, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did you, were you not, did I see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Let me say this. Before the Bible is binoculars, it's a mirror, okay? You see, if it's just binoculars, like, oh, you got a problem, you got a problem, you got a problem, Peter's got a problem, Judas has got a problem. If it's a mirror, you're like, I got a problem. <laughs> and I got to see my problem before I see your problem, okay? So let me ask you a couple questions, because we could look at it and say, oh boy, Peter blew it. Number one. What sin has gotten easier for you because you've done it a few times? Peter's sin was denying Jesus. You did it once, got easier to do it the second time. Did it second time, easier to do it the third time. And it's not that he didn't know that it was wrong. Jesus told him it was wrong. Sin gets easier the more you do it. What sin in your life has gotten easier because you've done it a few times? Number two, another question. At what cost do you stop following Jesus? Right, at this point, Peter's still a believer, but he's not a follower. He's looking at it saying, ah, I don't like the price I'll have to pay if I keep walking with Jesus. Jesus is walking into an arrest. He's gonna walk into a scourging. He's gonna walk to the cross. He's gonna walk to his death. Yeah, I'm not willing to follow him there. I could lose my money, I could lose my job, I could lose my reputation, I could lose my life. At what point, at what cost do you stop following Jesus? Some of you still believe in him, but you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you're not going to church, you're not moving, you've stopped. And you may say, well, I, I believe in Jesus, but are you following him? Peter still believed, but he stopped following, that's the problem. And number three, what does fear of man look like for you? Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man is a trap or a snare. So fear of man is the opposite of the fear of God. Proverbs 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 29, 25 says that fear of man is a trap or a snare. So it truly is, do we live by faith in God and fear of man? And we're, we're, we're needing to choose. See, Peter here is being asked to live by faith in his God, but he has fear of man. He's afraid of arrest. He's afraid of harm. He's afraid of death. He's afraid of consequence. Who or what are you afraid of? They could hurt me. They would reject me. They would criticize me. They would mock me. They would make fun of me. They would disown me. I would lose my job. Something negative or pejorative would happen. I am afraid of the price of belonging to Jesus. And in this moment, Peter has to decide, I live by faith in him or fear of them. And let's just be honest. We all get there, amen? We all get there. There are certain times you're like, I should tell them about Jesus. Nah, not gonna do that. I should give them a Bible. Uh, I don't know. I should invite them to church. Uh, it'll be awkward then. Uh. You need to decide if you're gonna be primarily driven by faith or primarily driven by fear. And if you're primarily driven by fear, you can never live the life that God intends for you because that's a life that requires faith. And that's Peter's decision and that is his struggle. So thus far, it's not going well for Peter, amen? It's not going well. Jesus then dies on the cross in our place, including Peter's place for his sin. Jesus is lonely, Peter has failed him. Didn't pray for him the night that he was preparing didn't participate by following and encouraging. Peter is the prototypical example of a failed friend and Jesus dies. The next verse, we jump up to John chapter 20. Peter regretted, he had remorse. This is the difference between Peter and Judas. There's another disciple that we've been looking at in the storyline and the narrative of John, Judas. Both 
failed Jesus. Peter really did love Jesus. Judas never did love Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus, never came back. Peter denied Jesus and eventually is trying to come back. Here's my exhortation. We're all gonna blow it. The difference between Judas and Peter is whether or not you wanna get back to Jesus. John 23 and four, Peter went out with the other disciple and they're going toward the tomb. So here's what happens. Jesus dies, is buried. The religious leaders did it according to their rules. And so Sunday comes, day of resurrection, and they got the word, Jesus is alive. Tomb is empty, he's gone. The report is given by women. The women are the first on the scene of the empty tomb of the resurrected Jesus. This gives great dignity to all women. It shows that they were loving and devoted and loyal and faithful, perhaps even beyond the devotion of the disciples. And number two, it verifies that the Bible is historically accurate because in that day, women could not testify in court. So to say that the empty tomb was first found by women If you were constructing a false narrative, you would never say that because those women could not testify in court. The fact that the Bible says that women were there first is because women were there first, okay? And then the word goes out, Jesus isn't there. So then two disciples, probably Peter and John, the beloved who's writing this gospel, both of them were running together. Here's Peter, I love this, right? The tomb is empty. Well. Does Peter have a sense of urgency? He does. How many of you, you've walked away from Jesus, you stopped reading your Bible, you stopped praying, you stopped going to church, and then one day you're like, ah, I gotta get back to Jesus. He's running. He's running. This is is where we see that the the want to precedes the how-to. The want to precedes the how-to. Peter at this point, he's struggling to know how to follow Jesus, but he wants to be with Jesus. Do you get that? I always say that this is really the key. The how-to precedes the want-to. Let's say you're really bad with your money. Let's say you don't want to learn how to be a good steward. If we give you a class on stewardship, if you don't want to, all the how-tos will do nothing for you, right? Let's say you're in a marriage and you're mean to your spouse, you're mean to your kids. If we meet with you and we ask, well, what do you want? They're like, nothing. Well, if you don't want to change that relationship, we can give you lots of things that you could do, but the how-tos are absolutely worthless without the want-to. The want-to precedes the how-to. So what we see here with Peter, he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to have a better relationship. He wants to change because he's running. That's an indication. Both of them were running together, but I love this. (laughs) Just... Peter's always the guy who doesn't quite make it. (laughs) They're running. And then John, because he's younger, flies by him. Hey, John, when you get there, tell Jesus, I'm super sorry. And as soon as I get there, I'm like, give him a hug. Oh, gosh, yeah. How many of you, how many of, any of you older? Any of you? Not faster as you get older, amen? (laughs) Gravity wins every time, gentlemen. I'm just telling you how this goes. So he's running. He wants to be with Jesus. He gets to the tomb. Is Jesus there? It's not there. So then the story continues. Next slide. Peter eventually did return to Jesus. John 21, seven through 12. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. So here, here, this is awesome. So what happens here, Jesus dies and rises in Jerusalem. They don't find Jesus at the empty tomb. He's walked away. So what do they decide to do? Go back to their old job. Go back to their old job, okay? And what happens is Peter's out fishing on the lake. That's his job. And he sees who? There's Jesus. Here's the thing. Jesus goes to Peter. This is how your relationship with Jesus is both initiated and it is secured. God comes looking for you. 
Right? We see this all the way back in Genesis 3. Our first parents sinned. God shows up looking for them. The story of human history is we're running and God is looking for us. Jesus says, I came to seek and save those who are lost. If you belong to Jesus, it's because he found you. Okay? And what happens here, Jesus has come from heaven to earth, went from the earth to the grave, went from the grave back up to the earth. And if you know your geography at all, he goes all the way to Galilee where Peter is fishing, which is about 80 miles. You know what that means? Jesus is all about relationships and pursuing people. And now if it were me and I was Jesus, I'd be like, hey, I just died, right? If you want a meeting, you gotta come to me. You know, like I, I feel like I've done my part. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. And 80 miles to go find a guy who denied you three times after you told him he was gonna deny you three times. You know what that means? The relationship between Peter and Jesus is secure because of Jesus, not because of Peter. There's a line in the New Testament that says, even when we're faithless, he is faithful. This is an illustration of that principle. So Jesus gets out of the grave. Where's Peter? He's 80 miles away. All right. <laughs> Jesus goes for an 80 mile walk. How far has Jesus gone to get you? I tell you what, Jesus had to go a long way to get me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Right? Some of you are like, I've walked away from God. I've run away from God. I'm far away from God. Yeah, Jesus will find you. He's good that way. So Peter sees him. He's like, that's Jesus. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. Peter's in his underwear. <laughs> now, if you've met Jesus in your underwear, he really loves you, amen? Uh, gee, this is funny, Right? I just, I love Peter. He's like, he cusses Jesus out. He chops the guy's ear off. He denies him three times and he's fishing in his underwear. I, I love this guy, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. So you get the picture. He's fishing in his drawers, right? He's like, there's Jesus. I want to see him. Probably not in my drawers, amen? <laughs> hey, and by the way, you all, thanks for putting pants on. You did great. We appreciate that, right? You're doing better than Peter. You got, you got pants on. So he put his outer garment on, basically his robe, his jacket, and then what? He jumped in the water. He's, he's passionate, amen? He's, he's not always going the right direction, but he's going fast. That's Peter, okay? So he puts his bathrobe on, whatever, jumps in and is, Jesus, it's me. Can you imagine Jesus like, oh, there's Peter, right? I saw him in his underwear, now he's swimming to me in a bathrobe. Good to see you, Peter. <laughs> How many of you have got a friend like this, right? If you don't, you are that person, okay? Um, um, just something to pray about. Okay, so the other, this, I'm tired, man. I was, I was gone all week. I, and last night, I could hardly sleep. I kept waking up with a recurring nightmare, I kid you not. I had a nightmare that we had a wedding at our house and I couldn't find grace, so I ended up officiating and being the wedding coordinator. I, I literally, I literally, apparently my deep-seated greatest fear is being a wedding coordinator. I had a panic attack all night. I, I, I kept waking up, <laughs> like, ah. Oh. So if you were gonna ask me after service to be your wedding coordinator, I have a word from the Lord, the answer is no, okay? I just, I'm not your guy, I'm out. So. Where were we? Um, I told you I like Peter because I'm like Peter, amen? Okay, so, uh, so the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish and the other guys are like, oh no, that's fine, Peter. We'll, we'll, we'll row it in. He's making them do all the work. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Oh, where did Peter deny Jesus? Charcoal fire. Where is Jesus coming to meet with Peter at a, Charcoal fire, Peter would be like, oh man, this smells familiar. With fish laid out on it and bread, that's breakfast. Jesus has breakfast, most important meal of the day. Have breakfast, be like Jesus, okay? Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. The moral of the story is if you run a business, count all your fish, okay? Next line, 
And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Here they are all having breakfast. This is one of those awkward moments. Have you ever had those socially awkward moments where you're like, I, I feel like we should talk about something, but I don't want to bring it up. <laughs> right? So they're all having breakfast. And Hi, Jesus. How are you? Welcome back. So, <laughs> right. How's the fish? You know. <laughs> now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. It's just one of those awkward moments. Why does Jesus do this? Well, sometimes Jesus just wants to hang out. And what's Peter's problem? He's impetuous. Jesus is gonna make him wait. Okay? Previously, Peter would have been like, okay, we got to talk about this. Is it just me? Anybody else feel awkward? Sorry about the whole one, two, three strikes, I'm out thing. You know, sorry about that. Hey, Jesus, welcome back. Peter, He's starting to learn. He's starting to grow. He's starting to change because he's practicing self-control. Previously, he was gonna lead. Hey, Jesus, just follow me. He was gonna initiate. Hey, Jesus, let's talk about this. Here he's gonna let Jesus lead and he's gonna let Jesus initiate the conversation. This had to be an awkward moment among the guys, right? Just like looking at Peter looking at Jesus, it's like, how's this going to go down? How is this going to play itself out? And I thought about it, that meals are meaningful. Okay, Genesis 3, everything went wrong when our first parents, Adam and Eve, had a meal with Satan. God then instituted a meal called the Passover, where people would celebrate that God forgives sin. Jesus comes to the earth and the first, one of the first things that Satan tempts him with is a meal. Let's break bread together. Jesus doesn't eat with Satan. And then we looked in John 13, Jesus celebrated the Passover, a meal with his disciples. And then Jesus dies on the cross and he rises and he has a meal, breakfast with his disciples. Meals are meaningful because meals are relational. Meals are meaningful because meals are relational. Jesus is relational, and this is the way that he is building his relationship. This is why families have dinner together. This is why couples go out on date night to dinner. This is why you invite people over to your house for meals, especially the holidays. Or if you want to get to know someone, you have a bite to eat. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. The religious leaders didn't really invite Jesus over for dinner. They didn't really get together with him for breakfast. They never really worked on the relationship. Jesus works on the relationship with his leaders, with his disciples, and it's in the context and over the course of a meal together because meals are meaningful. Next slide, please. We learned that Jesus did not fail Peter. Peter failed Jesus, Jesus didn't fail Peter. Here's what I'll tell you. We'll fail Jesus, you'll fail Jesus, Jesus doesn't fail you, Jesus doesn't fail us. Right, this is the hope of the Christian life. Every other religion basically says, if you earn it, God will take you. Christianity says, that'll never happen. How about if Jesus gets all the relational work done? that he loves you and then he'll work with you so that you can love him. When they had finished breakfast, John 21, 15 and 17, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Simon is his old name. When he first started, his name was Simon and then he got his name changed to Peter. And what he's done here, though he's a new person, he's gone back to his old habits. How many of you, God made you a new person, but you still go back to some of your old habits? He's addressing him by his new name and his old name. And what he's basically inferring and saying is, you're supposed, you were Simon, I made you Peter, now you're Simon Peter. You're, you're sometimes a believer, sometimes an unbeliever, sometimes you follow me, sometimes you walk away from me, sometimes you worship me, sometimes you deny me. So we need to have more consistency in this relationship. You can't be Simon and Peter. I need you to be Peter. It needs to be less Simon, less of who you were and more of who you are. Simon, son of John, do you? Love me. 
it all comes down to love. These are, these are relational moments. Jesus is a relational God. My question to you would be, do you love Jesus? Everything starts there, everything ends there. Do you love me more than these? Because see, Peter previously basically said, I love you more than all the other guys on the team. He was a little haughty. He's like, Peter, do you really love me more than all the other guys? The only time that Jesus brings up your past is to prepare you for your future. God's not a God that rubs your nose in it. But what Jesus is saying here is, you know, there's some stuff that we need to deal with so that we can move forward. And since you're the leader, we're gonna do it in the presence of the other guys so that we can all learn this lesson together. This is where your testimony is part of your ministry. And this is Peter's testimony. Your testimony is telling the truth about who you are and then revealing what God has done. This is the difference between a biography and a testimony. In a biography, and the world has biographies, here's what I did and how I overcame. Testimony is, here's who I really was and this is how God is the hero. The difference between a testimony and a biography, in a biography, you're the hero, and a testimony, he's the hero. This is Peter's testimony. You have a testimony, right? Your testimony is part of your ministry, okay? Um, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. Previously in John's gospel, at least on one occasion, he said, no, Lord. (laughs) And you can't, if you believe he's the Lord, you can't say no, amen? Almighty, sovereign, in control, and under, you know, I'm under your full authority, but the answer is no. Like what? No, it doesn't work like that. If he's the Lord, the answer is yes, Lord. Peter is a guy who sometimes would say no, Lord. We're all people who at times say no, Lord. Here he says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He's gonna talk about sheep. Sheep are vulnerable. Lambs are little sheep. They're really vulnerable. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, a son of John rather, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny him? How many times has he asked, do you love me? Three. Three. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was, he was grieved, he's heartbroken. Him and Jesus are face to face. They're having this conversation. Jesus is looking him in the eye. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Do you love me? Oh, that's right. I denied him three times. I, I, I didn't love him three times. I denied him three times. Every sin we commit is because in that moment we choose not to love Jesus. You can't love Jesus and sin. You either love Jesus or sin. All of our problems are relational problems, right? If he was loving Jesus, he wouldn't be sinning. Instead of loving Jesus, he sinned. So the answer to his sin is love, that Jesus loves him and that Jesus wants him to live in love so that the rest of his life, his responses and decisions come out of Jesus' love for him and his love for Jesus. You see where Jesus is different than religion because what, what it isn't about is what rule did you break? It's what relationship did you break? If you would have kept the relationship, you would have not broken the rule. The answer is not to focus on the rule, but to strengthen the relationship. This is like I always like to say, we connect before we correct, right? Jesus here is strengthening the relationship knowing if the loving relationship is strong, the behavior will change, right? Because the heart changes and then life changes. And Peter's an emotional guy. So he's emotional and now it's a good thing. He's grieved, right? You can see Peter, it's on his face. He's, 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 ah, this is who I am. I'm this guy who failed Jesus, but he still loves me and I do love him. Let me say this, if someone has failed you, they may still love you, they just failed you. Peter still loves Jesus, he just failed him. And sometimes when somebody fails us, sometimes they don't love us, that was Judas. 
but sometimes they do love us. That's Peter. The difference is how they respond to their failure. He said to him third time, Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three denials, three questions, one issue, love. And what Jesus is saying is this, if you do love me, then love the people that I love. Peter, in that moment, you were supposed to be the leader thinking about everybody else and you only thought about yourself. You forgot about our relationship and the people that are following you. So Peter, as we move forward, you need to know that I love you. You love me and I love them. And if you love me, you need to love them. And I tend to them, so I need you to tend to them. And I feed them, so I need you to feed them. So what he is commissioning here is Peter into ministry. And love is what you do for others. What Jesus says is, if you really love me, it's gonna show up in your care for them. So if you receive Jesus' love and you love Jesus, that has to be manifested in ministry. This is serving people, loving people, buying Bibles, praying for people, being generous, anything you can do to be of assistance to them. Jesus says, tend. That's care for, look after, heal up. And he says also feed, and that is the word of God. That ultimately our body needs food and our soul needs the word of God, right? Because man cannot live on bread alone, Jesus says, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so part of ministry is caring for people. And Jesus is clear here that there are wolves and that there are sheep and that there are shepherds. And he, the good shepherd, is getting ready to go to heaven after he's laid down his life for the sheep. But he knows that wolves, religious people, false teachers are gonna come and they're gonna attack sheep, God's people. And so he's telling Peter, you need to be able to get in the middle and have the courage to do as I did. And that is to do what is in the best interest of my people. For those of you who give, for those of you who serve, for those of you who do ministry, thank you. If it's out of Jesus' love for you, your love for him, you are fulfilling the exhortation and admonition that Jesus gave to Peter. And I wanna say this as well. Um, I'm really, I'm really encouraged. You know, we, this is I think the 38th week in John's gospel. We've got, I don't know, eight, 10, 12. I'm not even sure yet because, you know, I'm not sure yet how many more weeks we have to go. Our church is two and a half years old and it's, it's a little crazy to say, you know what? For a year, we're just gonna go through a book of the Bible. We're gonna do one thing, whether it succeeds or fails, we're gonna do one thing. We're just gonna go through John. And you guys have hung in there. If you're new, um, this is now the introduction and I'll get to the sermon in a moment. But we, we, we take our time, amen? How many of you noticed that? How many of you are like, next time I'm not drinking coffee, I gotta go, right? It's been a while, I've been sitting here. When Jesus said, feed my sheep, I think, I think that to have a good meal takes a little longer than fast food. I think you can get McNuggets in a McMinute, but if you really wanna have a healthy, nutritious, well-balanced meal, it's gonna take a little while to cook. And my thought is if you're gonna get in your car and come here, we're gonna open the word of God and I love you and I love the word of God. And I believe that God's people need to be fed decent, healthy, nutritious food, starting with protein in the diet. Okay, and so that's part of ministry. And I, I just wanna encourage you guys, the church is healthy, it's growing. But just think about it, when we're all done, if somebody says, what did you do in the last year? You'd be like, I went through a book of the Bible. You know what? There's a lot of things this year that you did that you can't stand before Jesus and be like, I played Fortnite, you know? <laughs> right? I went through the gospel of John. You won't regret that, amen? You won't regret that. So he says, Peter, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, love my people, make sure that they get the word of God. And then here's the last one. So we looked at this. Peter failed Jesus, Peter failed Jesus, Peter failed Jesus. Jesus didn't fail Peter. And then Peter doesn't fail Jesus. 
That's awesome. John 21, 18 and 19, truly, truly, I say to you, 40 times in John's gospel, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, because the world is filled with lies, but Jesus tells us the truth. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. Peter, when you were young, you get dressed, you go wherever you want, do whatever you want, strong, free, young man. But when you were old, the years are coming, you'd be a grown man. You will stretch out your hands. He's talking about, Peter, you're gonna be crucified. He is prophesying and predicting the last day on earth of Peter. Another will dress you, dress you for execution and carry you where you do not want to go. You know what, Peter, you denied me three times because you didn't even want to go where I was going. You're going to go there too. They're going to dress you like they dress me for execution. They're going to carry you to the place that you don't want to go. And they're going to stretch your arms out as they did mine. Peter, you're going to get crucified. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And saying this, he says, follow me. Follow me into your greatest fear. Some of you, following Jesus is something that you do until you are up against your greatest fear. And then you live by fear, not by faith. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Sometimes fear of punishment causes us to feed a demonic spirit of fear, and God sends his love to cast out that fear so we could live by faith in the God who loves us, not in fear of the demonic torment that comes to harm us. I didn't say this in the first service. I didn't have this in my notes. I'll share it with you. I think it's in Luke 22, verses 32 and 33. It speaks of this moment. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. Okay, so maybe this is a prophetic word for you from the word of God. Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. See, when Jesus stayed up all night, He not only prayed for himself, he prayed for Peter while he was sleeping. You need to know that Satan wants to sift you as wheat. He wants you to live by fear and not by faith. And if you live by fear instead of faith, you will not follow Jesus. He says, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. Jesus is praying for you right now to live by faith and not by fear. And Satan is behind the fear. And Satan had already picked off Judas, and here Satan is trying to pick off Peter. And Satan is trying to pick off you. And what he says in Luke 22, 32 through 33, the Lord Jesus does, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. Your greatest ministry comes out of your greatest failure. The thing that you're most ashamed of is the thing that is most powerful. The place where you have not been the hero of the story is the place where Jesus shines as the hero of the story. Some of you, you have regrets, you have failures, you have faults and flaws, you have things that you are ashamed of or embarrassed by, and maybe you've even done them as a Christian. That's Peter. And behind that is Satan trying to pick you off as he picked Judas off, but Jesus prays for you as he prays for Peter. He loves you as he loves Peter. He pursues you as he pursues Peter. He forgives you as he forgives Peter, and he commissions you to tell your testimony about his faithfulness in the midst of your failure. Why would God use a guy like this? Because God does perfect work through imperfect people. Peter does change. Acts 1, he's present for the replacing of Judas as the disciple for the 12. Acts 2, it's time for the early church to be birthed and the Holy Spirit to fall and someone needs to preach and who steps forward? Peter does. Thousands are saved. 
God uses Peter to heal someone and thousands more are saved. Peter is walking in faith. He's walking in God's power. And so they arrest him. And rather than, rather than denying Jesus, he goes to jail for Jesus. And Peter is progress, but not perfection. There is further hope. There's an occasion as a mature man, greatly used of God, that Peter has a bit of racism. Gentiles, non-Jews get saved and he treats them as second-class citizens. And Paul says, I went and I confronted Peter to his face. The moral of the story is not that Peter was a guy with some struggles and then he was perfect. He's a guy who was not perfect, but he made progress. And there were days that he failed. And this is the key. The Christian life is not about your perfection. It's about Jesus' perfection, which provides you an opportunity for progress. Non-Christians and demons will look at Christians and say, well, look what they did. What a hypocrite. No, no, no. Look what they used to do. They're doing awesome, right? You should have seen them before Jesus got them. He's in the middle of the renovation project and a lot of work has been done, right? Peter's got pants on. He's doing great. He's made so much progress. I want you to be encouraged by the progress. I want you to continue in the progress. Peter goes on to write two books of the Bible, first and second Peter. Are those books perfect, yes or no? Yes. Is Peter perfect? No. Because God can do perfect work through imperfect people. And at the end of his life, outside of the Bible, history records the last days of Peter. They arrested him. He's the highest spiritual authority alive on the earth. There's four lists of disciples in the New Testament. He's always listed first because he is the senior leader. They come to him and they basically tell him, and I'm paraphrasing, if you will deny Jesus, we will let you live a joyful, peaceful life. If you continue to declare that Jesus is your God, rather than deny that Jesus is your God, we, Peter, are going to crucify you. We are going to force you to endure your greatest fear. You denied Jesus three times just to avoid the possibility of crucifixion. This is the certainty of crucifixion. Deny Jesus a fourth time or we will crucify you. Peter said, crucify me. I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus, however. Hang me upside down. And so they did. And Peter closed his eyes in this realm. He opened his eyes in the unseen realm and he saw Jesus face to face. Jesus, last time I saw you, I denied you and you loved me. This time, Jesus, I didn't deny you. I love you too. Father God, I pray for hope for all of these dear people. Lord God, we confess we're people like Peter. We're people like Peter. And Lord Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You pursue us, you die for us, you rise for us. You meet with us. You love us. You forgive us. And you do perfect work through imperfect people. God, it's, it's a bit staggering it's, it's, it's tremendously humbling. It's greatly encouraging that when the Bible says that even when we're faithless, you're faithful. Lord God, as these dear people give me the tremendous honor of feeding your sheep, and Lord Jesus, I wanna confess that publicly. When you told Peter, feed my sheep, these are your people, Lord, they're not mine. These are your people, not mine. I thank you that I have the honor of feeding them the word of God. And God, I pray it would make them encouraged and I pray that it would make them healthy and I pray that it would make them joyful. And God, as we come to worship now, we come in worship to love the God who loves us. And as we partake of communion, we remember that meals are meaningful. And all who come to take this meal are saying, I am a sinner and Jesus is my savior. I failed him, but he has never failed me. In fact, he forgives me and his love causes me to love and his faithfulness makes me faithful. And so God, I pray that this would be a sacred time for your people to meet with you. 
just as they did around that charcoal fire. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much that when we open the Bible, we realize who the hero is. And Lord Jesus, I pray that one day when we see you face to face, that we would hear, as I'm sure Peter did, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the Greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.